So we spent the first couple weeks talking um, about these first couple chapters in which we read of this heavenly encounter between God and Satan uh, and the ways in which Satan seeks to, seeks to accuse both Job and God um, in the ways in which he uh, goes about attacking Job's character, uh, saying that if you took these things from Job, if you caused him suffering, if you took this hedge away from Job, then he would curse you and turn from you, therefore accusing Job of, of only having faith in God because of the good things he can get, but also, uh, in a way, accusing God of saying that his people only worship him for the things that, that they get from him and not because he is simply worthy of praise and honor in and of himself. Uh, so we finished last week discussing um, the sickness that, that Satan has brought upon Job, um, and that in many ways this is the end of the, of the encounters between God and Satan. Satan doesn't play a role in the rest of the book, uh, and we talked a little bit about as we finished last week that in many ways what Job does in, in, be, in ho- holding fast to his integrity um, disarms or brings to nothing the accusations of Satan. We talked about how our Savior, much more being the Son of God and the only truly righteous, sinless man through his death, life, and resurrection, his life, death, and resurrection, um, puts to death more fully and completely and disarms Satan. Uh, and that instead of having an accuser in heaven, we have an intercessor. We have one who intercedes for us uh, in heaven. And then we, as we finished Job chapter 2, we see him sitting on the ash pile, sitting on this pile of, 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 of garbage, of ash, um, probably outside of the city. Uh, and then his three friends arrive. Again, more than likely, they're wise friends, uh, noble men, people who, who would be highly respected and, and considered to have great wisdom in the world show up to give him comfort. Um, and they sit there for, for, three, for seven days in silence, sit there for a week in silence um, as we pick up where we're going to pick up today. Um, so we kind of, we kind of zoom in. We, we've focused a lot on, on this, these scenes in heaven, these interactions between God and between Satan and what happens there. And now we kind of zoom in to see the man himself, the man Job and what he is experiencing uh, in this difficult time of, of great suffering in his life. So I'm going to go ahead and read Job chapter 3 for us this morning, and we will jump in. After this, so after these seven days of silence, um, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And Job said, let the day perish on which I was born, and the night that said a man is conceived. Let that day be darkness. May God above not seek it, nor light shine upon it. Let gloom and deep darkness claim it. Let clouds dwell upon it. Let the blackness of the day terrify it. That night, let thick darkness seize it. Let it not rejoice among the days of the year. Let it not come into the number of the months. Behold, let that night be barren. Let no joyful cry enter it. Let those who curse it, who, let those who curse it, curse the day who are ready to rouse up Leviathan. Let the stars of its dawn be dark. Let it hope for light, but have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning, because it did not shut the doors of my mother's womb, nor hide trouble from my eyes. Why did I not die at birth? Come out from the womb and expire. Why did the knees receive me, or why the breasts that I should nurse? For then I would have laid down and been quiet. I would have slept. Then I would have been at rest. With kings and counselors of the earth who rebuilt ruins for themselves, or with princes who had gold, who filled their houses with silver. Or why was I not as stillborn, hidden, not as a hidden stillborn child, as infants who never see the light? There the wicked cease from troubling, and there the weary are at rest. There the prisoners are at ease together. They hear not the voice of their taskmaster. The small and the greater there, and the slave is free from his master. Why is light given to him who is in misery, and life to the bitter in soul, who long for death, but it comes not, and dig for it more 
more than for hidden treasures, who rejoice exceedingly and are glad when they find the grave. Why is light given to a man whose way is hidden, whom God has hedged in? For my sighing comes instead of my bread, and my groanings are poured out like water. For the thing that I fear comes upon me, and what I dread befalls me. I am not at ease, nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. So, as you can tell, just simply by our, our cursory reading, a very difficult passage indeed. And, and as I begin this morning, I just simply want to say that I think there's, in many ways, any, any attempt to explain this chapter will, will fall short in some way. That it's, um, that I think the, the deep experience of grief and suffering that Job experiences and goes through is, is in many ways impossible to understand by simply mere words. Um, I think it's a passage that that when we go through a season of suffering may, may be um, helpful for us in, in, a, percul- in a peculiar and in a, in a uh, specific kind of way, but yet as we read it and look through it this morning, um, can be a bit of a challenge. And, and I must also confess that it feels a bit hollow um, to get up and speak about a passage of so much suffering when, I've, when I can understand in my own life that I've experienced so little, but yet it's still in God's Word, and I still think it's helpful for us to, to talk about and study this morning. So... With that said, just to kind of give us a cursory overview of this chapter, um, it it tells us right at the beginning that Job opens his mouth, he curses the day of his birth. So the first uh, 10 verses function as a curse. Job is is cursing the day of his birth. He wishes his birthday would perish. He wishes he was never conceived. He wishes that the day was wiped off the the calendar, that his mother was barren. Just all of these different images he uses to say, I wish I was never born. I wish I had never come to 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 be alive to begin with. Uh, and then the, the last verses, 11 to, to the end of the chapter, 26, um, function as, as a lament. So Job laments. <clears throat> Sorry about that. So Job kind of asks these rhetorical questions. Why didn't I die? Why did my mother care for me? Why? Uh, and then he kind of wishes for this rest of death. Um, and asks the question, why, why does God continue to give me life? Why do I, why do I continue to, to live despite my suffering? So we'll talk about that briefly um, this morning, briefly go through uh, Job chapter 3, and then um, hopefully have a couple um, helpful implications or applications at the end. So as we begin chapter 3, again, we read this, this very first verse. That Job opens his mouth, and he curses the day of his birth. This kind of dramatic First speaking, that there's been silence for seven days, his friends have sat with him, there's been no speaking for seven days, and now Job, after this prolonged silence, is is the one who opens his mouth. And perhaps it was out of respect for him that the friends remained silent, that they they were waiting for him to have the first word. Uh, Out of respect for him, they they tore their robes and they put ashes on their head and they grieved with him and they sat there in silence for seven days and allow him to be the one who speaks. And finally, he does open his mouth. And perhaps after we've read chapters one and two, we wouldn't expect what it says is that he curses the day of his birth. He's been so um, steadfast and so faithful and so um, said such wonderful things about God in his suffering in chapters 1 and 2, and yet when we open to chapter 3, he curses the day of his birth. And, and you could think about that in a couple different ways, and I don't think there's any one answer to why it seems as though there's this reversal, but even if we think of, of our own human nature, it's been, it's been a week perhaps through his processing of the events, perhaps through just the, the passage of time, these emotions have, have welled up. And, and I think as well, the, the focus of chapters 1 and 2 is simply just Job's putting away the accusations of Satan. 
And therefore, that, that job has been accomplished, and now we can zoom in and see how, how God's people experience suffering and how God deals with his people in their suffering. The focus has changed in many ways from those first two chapters, and, and therefore, I think we see this shift a bit in focus to, to Job and into his real lament and suffering. <clears throat> so as we talked about, uh, as I went through the, that brief summary of the passage, um, as, as we open up into verses 2 and 3, that Job um, does not simply wish he was never born, but he even goes as far as to say, I wish I was never conceived. I wish, I, I wish there was just no chance for me to even have been given life to begin with. Um, and then in verses 4 through 6, we get this, this seven, these seven different images of darkness that he goes through, that there is darkness, that there would be no light shine upon it, that it would be gloom and deep darkness, that clouds would dwell upon it, that it would be blackness, that thick darkness would seize it. So speaking of this day of his birth, he just wishes it would be nothing. He wishes that it would, um, there at the end of verse 6, that it would not rejoice among the days of the year, that it would not come into the number of the months, that the day itself would simply be wiped off the calendar that there would be no February 4th, that there would be no day that, that he was born on, that, that, that that day would disappear off the calendar itself. Um, so it's this idea of this deep, all-encompassing darkness. Uh, I think of, I'm sure many of us have probably never experienced darkness, complete and total darkness. I think as, as a kid, my family went to the Ohio Caverns, and at some point in the, the tour, they, they turned the lights off and just complete darkness. Darker than you've ever experienced, the most complete and total darkness. Can't see anything, can't see your hand in front of your face, whatever it may be. Um, and therefore, I think this is this image that, that Job is getting at, that that day would just simply be nothingness, that it would be void of all things. It would be uncreated. We'll talk about that um, here in a second. That it seems as though, in some ways, Job is wishing that he could undo the very steps of creation, that in Genesis 1-3, God says, let there be light. Let, there, let this day have light. And Job says, let there not be light. Let the, let the light go away. Let it be darkness instead. Um, and we'll get to that. I think there's some more creation imagery um, in this next section. But, but for now, I think we can start to get this idea of what Job is talking about, that he simply just wishes that it would just become nothing. And, and as we go later on in the passage, we see that it seems as though he longs for death for the same reasons, that he just wants to go into to black nothingness. To, to experience nothing anymore. Um, and I think it's helpful to perhaps pause for a second here and understand that, that this curse is without teeth. Job doesn't actually think that he can undo creation. Job doesn't actually think that he can undo the day of his birth or be, or be not born or that God will reverse creation, but simply um, just as an overflow of his pain and suffering expresses this curse, um, this perhaps desire of his heart, but in many ways it is toothless. He knows that it will not come to pass. Um, and as we move into to verse 7, we, again, we move perhaps not as much from his birthday, but even to the night of his conception. Um, that as we, we talked about as we studied the book of Ruth, that this barrenness, this idea of barrenness, of, of being infertile, unable to have children, was a source of so much grief, especially in the Old Testament. But as we read of this idea of barrenness, of, of not being able to have children, it was a source of much grief and shame in the Old Testament. Um, and on the other hand, the opening of the womb of God uh, by God was such was viewed as a great gift, a great act of God with which he, he opened the womb and allowed those to, uh, to have children whom he, whom he pleased to, to give children. Uh, and therefore, uh, in many ways, we understand that, that Job is asking that God would have unopened the womb of his mother, that, that his mother would have been barren on, on that night in which he was conceived. Um, that the great joy of, 
of conception would have not been there to begin with, that his mother would have been barren. In verse 8, perhaps a bit confusing, but it seems as though he's even calling on pagan powers that that let those who curse it curse the day. These perhaps people who are professionals at at cursing things, magicians or sorcerers or some sort of pagan powers seeking anyone or anything that would simply just undo the day of his birth. Um, That that these these pagan powers curse the day, rouse up Leviathan. Um, He's seeking any power to undo this day. Um, and then as we, as we talked about, um, as we move into verse 9, again, I think that we get another kind of image of, of being uncreated. That let the stars of its dawn be dark, let it hope for light but have none, nor see the eyelids of the morning. Let that day have never been a day at all. Let it have no morning. Let the dawn never rise. Uh, again, we think of, of the creation. Um, as we think of creation, we think of, of uh, chapter 1, verse 14 of Genesis, that, that God created that division between the day and the night, and yet... Job says, let there, let there be no day. Let that night just remain night. Let there be no day in which I was born. Let it remain night forever. That this is sim- There's no dawning rays of sunshine to signal the coming of the day, but it's a day that never comes to pass. Um, and again, in verse 10, we get this um, idea of fertility, this idea of barrenness, um, which again, is such a wonderful God-given gift, and yet he sees it almost as, as something evil done against him. So, so that takes us through the first uh, 10 verses of, of this curse, the, the curse both of his, the day of his birth and the night of his conception, uh, in which Job wishes that he would just simply be nothing, that he would have never had to have lived to begin with, to better, better to have not lived to begin with than to experience the suffering that he's experiencing now, um, is kind of what Job seems to be saying here. So any, any questions on, on those first 10 verses before we just do a brief flyover of, of the last couple verses of this chapter. Do you or the people you read take this as um, Job sort of putting judgment against God, or is it somewhat godless in that he's just just um, <coughs> swallowing the sorrow? In some ways, contrasting all the joy yeah. that came not only to me, but you know other people's joy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. From what I understand, from what a lot of the people I read, it seems as that he's not like praying this to God. It's just kind of just a general wailing out in pain, not really directed towards God in, in specifically. But yeah, because I, I think we need to make sure to protect that Job is not cursing God. Perhaps he's cursing the day of his birth, which we may find troublesome as well, but not, not cursing God directly or... Um, I don't, I don't know if he's even directly addressing God as, as much as just kind of wailing out in pain, I guess. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. Yeah, in chapter 2, so yeah. Yeah, so at the end of, of chapter 2 in verse... Um, Verse 10 says, In all this Job did not sin with his lips, which I think is what makes chapter 3 kind of more dramatic, I guess, that we, Job has seemed so, to have so much integrity and so much faithfulness in the first two chapters, and then we read verse 3, and they can kind of shock us a little bit. And, and even at the end of the book, when God addresses Job, he does call Job to repentance. So I think we can see that in at least some of the things Job says throughout the book of Job, we don't have any specific breakdown of what was sinful and what wasn't, but it seems as though some of the things Job said were sinful when God calls him to repentance for those different things in some ways. But. So I guess that leads to the 
discerning whether or not Job was right to do this, or are we thinking more about just understanding the heart of Job in this moment? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. That's a good, you know, I, I guess what I think about, and I think what I'll hopefully touch on at the end, is it seems, I don't think it's pro- supposed to be prescriptive, I guess. Like, I don't think we should read it and be like, when we're suffering, we should suffer like Job. But at the same time, I think it can show that, that God's people do suffer and that God is patient with his people in suffering and that, I guess, we can, we don't need to fear that when we do, perhaps maybe we sin in our suffering or or that we struggle greatly, that God is going to smite us, but that God is greatly patient with Job, I think. Um, I guess, again, I'll talk about that more at the end, I guess, but that's kind of how I took it, I suppose, that answers your question. <laughs> No, you're fine. Yeah, and I think, because it is wisdom literature, and I think, I guess how I took that is, it seems as though, in the way that God responds at the end of the book of Job, is that like, you may not understand why I continue to give you life, you may not understand why I gave you life to begin with, but yet, you don't understand how I order the world, you don't understand the reasons why I do things, the understanding with which I have, and the, the, the wisdom with which I order the world, you don't understand that. And, and from your own perspective and your own foolishness and your own wisdom, it may seem, why didn't you just kill me? Why did you let me live to experience all this suffering? <clears throat> but yet I think that's why God's response at the end seems so, he never, he never addresses any of these questions particularly, but simply seems to just kind of say, <clears throat> you don't understand things the way I do. You don't order the, order the world in the way that I do. And I think that's kind of what ties it back to that, that wisdom, I guess, the idea of human, limited human wisdom and foolishness in God's unlimited wisdom and understanding. Okay, great questions, great. That's helpful for me and hopefully for everyone else. <clears throat> so as we finish up this um, this chapter, we, we finish with this lament, so we've had this curse in verses 1 through 10, and then as we move from, from verses 11 through the end, we get this, this lament. Um, again, taking these, these beautiful images in verses 11 and 12, we get this idea of, <clears throat> of why didn't I, why wasn't I, why wasn't I a stillborn child, but even this, these wonderful images of, of a mother taking a child onto her knees and, and nursing a child, of why did those things happen? Uh, just taking every step. Why was I born? Why did I survive the labor and delivery? Why did my mother lovingly take me 
and, and nurse me? Why was my mother able to nurse me? Why did all these things happen, all these wonderful, joyful things? Why did they happen? Why did, if one of them wouldn't have happened, perhaps I, I may have never been born. Um, <clears throat> and then I think verse 13 is, is really the crux of what Job is trying to get at uh, and what he seems to be, to be longing for, that he would, he, then he would have lain down and been quiet, I would have slept, and I would have been at rest. What Job seems to be seeking here is, is a rest. That would, um, and it seems as though he thinks that that rest is only found through, through death. And we'll talk a little bit more about that at the end of, of, our, of our eternal hope that we have as, as believers, as Christians, those who are in Christ in death. But, but Job seems to just have this view that, that death is, is, again, just kind of a returning to darkness, a returning to being uncreated. And yet, how much more hope we have as Christians um, and simply returning to darkness, but that we can, that we go to be with our Savior forever. Um, <clears throat> and then he kind of sets up this, um, this balance in, in verses 14 through um, 19. We have these, these kings and counselors, these princes with this great gold. Um, and then we also have the, the weary and the prisoners and, and the slave, um, these different people who, who Job kind of says they all go, they all see death together. Uh, great, death is kind of a great equalizer in which all men go to die. Um, and it seems as though he's setting up this imbalance. And in many ways, perhaps Job is identifying himself with those, those poor individuals, that at some point in his life he was a great man. He had much gold. He had much possessions. But yet at this point, perhaps thinking of those Sabaeans and those Chaldeans and those great men of power who, who caused him so much suffering, he sees himself as these, these weary prisoners uh, who are simply just longing for death to, be, to no longer be um, troubled by these, these taskmasters and these evil men. <clears throat> and then um, as we move to th- through verses 20 and 22, uh, and really to the end of the, through 23, we get these different rhetorical questions. And the question doesn't seem to be, why do the righteous suffer? We talked a little bit about it at the beginning, that that question is a question we can ask throughout the book. Why do God's people suffer? Why do the righteous suffer? But the question doesn't seem to be, why does do the righteous suffer? But uh, if we look in verse 20, why is light given to him who is in misery? Why does God give life to those who suffer? Why does God allow people who suffer to continue to live? Why does God not simply take their life away from them? And we notice that Job is not speaking of himself directly, but just in general, those who, who are in misery, who, who, uh, whose life is bitter in soul, who long for death, but it comes not, uh, who dig for it more than hidden treasures. <clears throat> so this idea of, of those who, who seek death, who desire death, why does, why does God not give that to them? Why does God continue to allow me to live. Um, and if we think back to, <clears throat> excuse me, to chapter two, um, what we talked about there is that to Job, he probably seemed as though he was at the point of death, that death probably seemed imminent, that he was so sick and experienced all of this, that death must have seemed as though it was at his doorstep, ready to take him at any moment, and yet it, it didn't come. Uh, and we know from chapter two that, that God does not allow Satan to put Job to death, that Job will not die as the result of these trials, but yet Job does not know that. It seems as though death is at his doorstep and just wishes uh, and hopes that it would come. Again, in his own wisdom, he, he does not understand why God would allow these things to be. Um, but yet, I think we can have a great hope here uh, that Job still holds fast his faithfulness, that uh, as we look in verse 20, that why is light given to him who is in mercy? He understands that it is ultimately God who is the giver of life. It is God who, who has given him life. It is God who sustains his life. And though he may not understand why God would do such a thing, he still seems to have 
a real faith in his God. He has not turned from his God or cursed his God, but, but seems to, to be wrestling in faith with, with God and the way in which God does things that he does not understand. Um, and just to quickly talk about uh, verse 23, uh, this, this quick little thing he puts in here of whom God is hedged in, should, hope, should hopefully maybe in your mind help us think back to, to chapter 1 and, and Satan accusing God of, of doing this thing, of putting this hedge around Job. But when Satan speaks of it, it's his hedge of protection, that he has not allowed Job to, to experience suffering or difficulty or, or evil. Uh, and now Job sees this hedge as, as not a, a loving hedge of protection, but a hedge of, of razor wire, a prison in which he is stuck, that God has, has caused him so much suffering and yet will not even allow him the rest that comes from death. And then we finish uh, with these last few verses in 24 through 26 um, of Job kind of takes it back into the first person, speaking of himself, that his suffering is very great, um, uh, this greatness of his suffering. <clears throat> and again, at the end of verse 26, I have no rest, but trouble comes. That it seems as though what he truly desires is rest, and that from his own perspective, what would be most restful to him, what would be most helpful to him, would be um, the rest of death. And I think we could uh, understand that, that in many ways Job does not know what's happening to him. He's, it seems as though his worldview, his, his fundamental understanding of the world has been undone, um, and therefore we can perhaps have compassion on Job for, for feeling the way he does um, in, in this chapter. And we'll talk about that in just, in just a few seconds. So a couple different um, lessons that, that I think we could pull out from Job chapter 3 as we finish up this morning. Um, <clears throat> The first thing uh, I think we can talk about is, is we shouldn't fool ourselves into thinking that we wouldn't behave the same way that Job does. That we wouldn't also be so short-sighted and blinded by our suffering that God's people do, in fact, suffer, that God is patient with his people in suffering, and that Job longed for death, death in an unfounded and a hopeless way, and that we do not do the same thing. So that first point, uh, let us not fool ourselves into thinking we wouldn't be so short-sighted. Um, this, uh, perhaps a silly example, but earlier this week, I had strep throat, and I didn't feel good. And in many ways, when you're sick, even with minor sickness, it can feel so all-encompassing that you wake up in the morning, and you don't feel like yourself, and you feel sick, and it, you don't want to get out of bed, and it's like, am I ever going to feel healthy again? Am I ever going to feel normal again? Is this, is this how I die? Is this the final, is this what, will I ever feel like myself again? Will I ever feel strong and, and fully healthy ever again? So uh, perhaps, again, perhaps it's a silly example, but perhaps you can understand it or, or feel the same way, that how quick I know I can be in those moments to, to doubt God's goodness and to hone in on my own perceived lack of, uh, of whatever it may be, of health or or money, or success, or whatever it feels as though I'm lacking. So I don't think the point of, of Job chapter 3 is to look down, on our, to look down our noses at Job. Um, and again, I think we'll, as we talk about God's patience with Job and his suffering, we shouldn't be too quick to condemn Job when God himself is not too quick to condemn Job, uh, even within the, the book of Job. So the second point is that God's people do suffer. Uh, I think this lament in Job can show us without a doubt that God's people do and will suffer, that, that Job was a faithful man. He was attested by God at the beginning to be a faithful man, and he's attested by God at the end of the book to be a faithful man. Even after this, God still attests to Job's faithfulness um, in this trial. Uh, and that Though he still speaks this, this dark and doubt-filled and angry lament, Job is still a faithful man of God. Um, and we should also understand that, that through, even through the scriptures, we can understand that God's people suffer, that Job is not alone, that if we think of Moses or Elijah or Jeremiah, um, 
Moses is not, or excuse me, Job is not alone in his wishing for death, of, of coming to God and, and perhaps saying to God, why, why won't you let me die? Uh, Jeremiah 20 perhaps may even be a direct quote. Again, it's, it's, a, it's hard to know because we don't know when Job was written, but yet the, the words used by Jeremiah and Jeremiah 20 are very, very similar to what Job says in these verses. Uh, we can think of, of the great saints through history that we have uh, much love for Charles Spurgeon or Martin Luther, people who experienced great suffering and great, um, great bouts of depression, if we want to use that word, or great uh, despair or hopelessness, whatever, you want to, whatever word you want to use, that we can understand that the God's people suffer. And, and even as we think of, of Christ in Isaiah 53, that our Savior suffered, that he experienced great suffering. Um, and that as we can have confidence that, that Job did not suffer because of, his, because of his own sins, that God did not make these sufferings come upon Job for his own sins, we can look at our Savior and say that, that, that our Savior did suffer for someone's sins, but it was not his own sins, but ours. Um, and then we can look in, as well and say that God is patient in our suffering, that, um, that I, I don't think this is a prescriptive passage. I don't think that we should look at this and say that if we were in a moment like this, that we would perhaps want to respond in exactly the same way Job did. But yet we can see, again, that God is, God is slow to respond, that God is patient with Job in the suffering that he experiences, that God seems to be compassionate uh, and kind and patient with Job even in this this suffering, that even though we may sin and backslide and doubt and be angry, uh, in this account, um, Job shows us that God is still exceedingly patient with his people in, in their suffering. And, and for some reason, God found it fitting to put it in his word. And perhaps there is a moment, and I, I pray there is not, but perhaps there is a moment in, in our lives in which we may find great comfort or, or understanding in, in this third chapter of the book of Job, um, and that God has put it there for our good and for our help, though perhaps not prescriptive can still be helpful for us in our own seasons of suffering. And finally, um, Job longs for death in a, in a way that seems unfounded and hopeless, that he doesn't seem to have an understanding of, of heaven and hell and, and what death truly looks like. He just simply longs for the darkness of death, of, of being uncreated. Um, <clears throat> but yet he still, again, we, we talked about still seems to have a real faith in God, but yet he was blinded by this prospect of death um, as bringing him... Um, to nothingness. But as Christians, we can have such confidence um, in our death. Um, if you, I'll turn there, if you'd like to turn there with me, you can, to Philippians chapter 1. So how much more can we as Christians, um, we've seen the completion of God's plan, we have seen um, the, the redemption, God's redemptive historical story been made more clear in the New Testament through the completion of the Old Testament and the coming of the gospel in the New Testament. How much more confidence can we have, uh, perhaps if we are in that moment of, of having a, a holy longing for, for the, the next life or the rest that comes through Christ? Um, so we talked about Moses and Jeremiah, but yet I think um, we could even look at Paul and say in some ways he too desired to, to die. He desired as well to go uh, into the next life to be with his Savior. So I'll read uh, Philippians chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that, I will, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. 
Yet which, yet which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to, to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So if we focus and, and think about... Um, Excuse me, I lost my place there. Verse 23, uh, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. Again, not this, uh, I think as we read the book of Job, we should never think that Job was, was suicidal or seeking to take his own life, but yet was seeking in some ways that, that God would, would end his life, that it would be fitting to God to give him life no more. And in many ways, I think as we read um, Paul, again, Paul is, is understanding God's purposes and God's sovereignty to take his life as God chose, but yet this holy longing and this holy desire to be with his Savior. So that we know um, that, that being a Christian may include many times of, of suffering or hatred or persecution, but we know that, that all these birth pains give way to eternal true rest in the presence of our Savior. That we don't long for, for darkness, we don't long to be uncreated, but we long for true eternal rest with our Savior. So that, that Job wanted the rest of darkness and nothingness, and yet we long to rest with being our, with our Savior, Jesus Christ, forever. Let us pray together. Lord God, I pray that you would work through my, my fumbling tongue, Lord, that, that if there's anything I've said this morning that was untrue or incorrect, I'm sure there was many things, Lord, forgive me for, for my failure to, to preach your word, as, to teach your word as magnificently or uh, as well as uh, as it deserves, Lord, but yet I pray that, that you, Holy Spirit, would be the one who teaches your people through, through your word, Lord, that your word would speak for itself and that your people would be encouraged by it. And I just pray that, that as we suffer, as we experience difficulty, um, that we would understand that you are patient in our suffering, that we as your people will suffer. We don't just go from triumph to triumph, from victory to victory, but yet we do suffer. And that we don't need to be stoic in the face of suffering, but that we can truly um, come before you and, and pray and lament um, and, and let our desires be made known to you, but yet ultimately holding fast to your sovereignty and to your purposes, knowing that, that our lives are completely and totally in your hand and that on that day with which you call us home, we have no control over, but yet in some ways we have that holy longing to be with our Savior forever uh, in that final rest, Lord. But knowing that you still have much work for us to do in this world, I pray that you would strengthen us and help us through the suffering and difficulties that we experience in this world, minor as they may be or major as they may be, Lord. We ask for your help because we, we desperately need your help and your kindness and your compassion um, in our seasons of difficulty, Lord. Please be with us as we enter into the time of, of preaching and singing and worship this morning, um, that it would just be encouraging to our, to our souls um, and that we would be an encouragement to one another, that your word would go forth through the preaching of your word by Brother Lee this morning. We thank you for this time and we ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.